0: authority, natural law, and the concept of sovereignty. We'll be turning more to the text of Thomas Aquinas to supplement Aristotle. This is about the question of a higher law, whether there is a law that guides, restrains, influences the will of a government or of a people. Already in Aristotle, we find this concern for something above passion, something above human choice and decree, what Sophocles calls the higher law. When Aristotle said about the king that it would be preferred to have the rule of law, because with law, we bid that God and reason rule, and not simply passion. Aristotle also makes that distinction between natural and conventional right and acknowledges that much if not all of slavery is just only by convention, implying that it may not be right by nature. That the conventions and practices must be measured against another standard, the standard of natural right. Thomas Aquinas' Doctrine of Natural Law is probably the best formulation of this understanding of a higher law. It's the understanding that led Martin Luther King, Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail to talk about just and unjust laws. He cites Aquinas and Augustine as an influence on his thinking that a law that is not just is not really a law, and he appeals to the higher natural law. Our declaration also refers to nature's laws and the God of nature. So let's give a brief look at Aquinas' treatment of natural law. In his definition of law, Thomas does say that law is a certain ordinance of reason for the common good, made by him who has care of the community and is promulgated. What's important in this definition, all the elements are, but the idea of an ordinance of reason for a common good establishes the authority of law from its end, serving the common good, and from its source, which is reason. Thomas will then go on to explain that all human law derives from the natural law. So his definitions of these various kinds of law in question 91 we should look at. Eternal law is of course the wisdom of God governing the entire universe. And in light of that overarching law, Thomas says that natural law in article two of question 91 is the participation of a rational creature in the eternal law. So humans, having reason, are able to know and discern what's good and evil. We can discern what the common good is and choose accordingly. So natural law will be the measure for human law, I think it would be worth looking at a diagram to get straight how Thomas has eternal law as the overarching principle, natural law being the human participation in the eternal law, and natural law being the measure and norm for all human law. Thomas says in Article 3 that human laws are particular determinations. Of the natural law. That natural law gives us general and indemonstrable principles, and these need to be made determinate. They need to be given particular shape and form. What is the content of this natural law? In question 94, article 2, we have what is probably the classic text for deriving. The content of natural law. Here we have Thomas structuring various kinds of human inclinations into three levels. The first level shared with all beings is the seeking to do good and avoid evil. And the good on this first level is to seek the protection and preservation of one's being and kind. This leads to an affirmation of the good of life, to seek what promotes life and to avoid what destroys it or detracts from it. The second level, he says, we share with animals. It is an inclination to form family. It is to acknowledge the good of children and family and to seek what promotes that and avoid what detracts from it. At the next level, he talks about the distinctively human as being political. This is very Aristotelian. That is, we form associations with others. We must then acknowledge the good of fairness, of knowing how to get along with others, ultimately of justice. And at the highest level, he says, we seek to know the truth about God. So both the good of knowledge and the supreme good that is God are affirmed as part of full human flourishing. This will give us a backdrop against which to understand how natural law can form some kind of guide or measure for human lawmakers. So if we move along now to our next text to look at, let's look at question 95, article 1 of human law. Is it useful for laws to be framed by men? Here Aquinas quotes Aristotle that man needs virtue to reach his perfection and that we acquire virtue through training. The proper training will come through family but also political life. So it is useful that laws be framed so that humans can achieve their perfection. And finally, I think we should mark question 96, article 4. This has to do with the power of human law. Does human law bind a man in conscience? And here he discusses the problem of just and unjust laws and basically says that laws which are just bind us in conscience. We are bound by the very eternal law from whence they are derived. But if a law is unjust, he says, we are not bound in conscience to obey them. So after this brief survey of Aquinas, I think we need to turn to one of the problems facing Yves-Simon and Jacques Maritain in trying to understand modern democracy and to formulate a political philosophy that has allowed the church to enter more deeply into the modern world and to come to terms with its role in modern democratic societies it is the case that many popes have condemned certain theories of democracy this is what led many catholic political thinkers prior to simone and maritan to think that the church was at odds with liberal democracy eve simone has argued that there's just a particular theory of democracy with which the church was concerned. It was a theory that there is no higher law. It was a theory that the consent of the people as a principle of government means nothing more than, or it means exactly that there is no law or measure above the rule or will of the majority. Again, one can think back to Aristotle for objections to this type of theory of democracy. It was also formulated in our own country by Orestes Brownson, who is entombed in the crypt chapel at Notre Dame, who was a great convert and great political theorist. He wrote a short essay entitled The Democratic Principle, in which I think he gives very sharp formulation to this objection to a theory of democracy. As he formulated it, he said it would be if the origin of government lay only in the will of the people, only in its own power of making conventions, which he says will amount to the doctrine of might makes right. In other words, the popular will must acknowledge some higher law. That's what he calls the democratic principle, that democracy will be preserved when the popular will can acknowledge a higher principle which restrains it, some authority above the people, something more than utility but also justice. He says this democratic principle, if wrongly understood, the dangerous assertion that the sovereignty of the arbitrary will of the people is what makes the law. Brownson said what kind of restraints could be brought to bear upon popular sovereignty. He praised constitutionalism. Again, Aristotle's praise of law. When we praise law, we bid that God and reason rule. Constitutionalism is a check upon sheer popular sovereignty. He also talks about an Aristotelian theme here of character, the need for sentiment, convictions, manners, customs, and habits that lead the people to acknowledge something higher than their own will or desires. But let's turn now to Yves Simone who probably has the most sophisticated argument about this flawed theory of democracy that has arisen in the modern age that the will of the people is sovereign without any further measure or law. Simon has a very useful analogy in which he talks about theories of authority. His analogy is what he calls the coach driver theory, or sometimes the cab driver theory. This idea is that government is nothing but a cab driver or a coach driver that the magistrate or the lawmaker has no authority but is a pure instrument of the will of the people. He says this theory that the representative is nothing but a cab driver seems to give an account of democratic practices. think of representatives as hired servants or to look at the role of public opinion and lobbyists who think that the representatives should just do their will or do their bidding in their interest. It also seems to respect the autonomy of the democratic people. But as Simone shows in great detail, this is a false theory of democracy which really masks anarchy. It just amounts to a majority rule with no restraint. And he said, the philosophical mistake is to confuse the final cause for the efficient cause. That is, it is true that the common good is the final cause of political authority. Authority does derive from the common good, whose measure is reason. This theory thinks that acting for the good of the whole requires that every decision be made by the whole. So the final cause is the true meaning of the good of the people being the ultimate source of authority as opposed to by the whole that the majority must rule and by its majoritarian rule automatically be right. Simone says this is the doctrine that the church condemned and it was not a condemnation of democracy. For authority is needed whether there is distinctive personnel or not for united action and for willing the common good. Now of course what the founders of modern liberal democracy were reacting against was an equally erroneous doctrine of the divine right of kings. On this view, in reaction perhaps also to the cab driver view, God gives authority to the ruler. It was a problem of understanding the Christian prince or king, especially in the 17th and 18th century. Simone's theory is what he calls the transmission theory of authority. He derives it from some great Thomist, Bellarmine and Suarez, who argue that the authority which derives from God resides in no particular man. This is Bellarmine's argument. Therefore, it belongs in the multitude. Or Suarez goes further to argue that democracy is the most natural form of government For this reason, that it's in function of the whole that authority is given from God to the ruler. So the magistrate is a vicar of the people, if you will. And they made the parallel, just as the Pope is the vicar of Christ who derives his authority directly from Christ, the temporal magistrate receives his power or authority from the people but the people derive it ultimately from God and the common good. Authority resides in the civil community, not in any distinct persons. So the designation of who is to rule is how transmission of power occurs. Let's look at a text or two back in Aquinas to see the ones which Yves-Simon used to justify democracy. He does take two texts from Aquinas. Both are in the Prima Secundae. The first one is question 90, article 3, whether any person can make the law. Is any person competent to make the law? And in this answer, you'll see Thomas saying, law is an ordering to the common good. Now, to order anything to the common good either belongs to the whole people or to someone who is the vicegerent or the magistrate of the whole people. Therefore, the making of law belongs either to the whole people or to a public personage who has care of the whole people, since in all other matters the directing of anything to the end concerns him to whom the end belongs. So you see in that passage Thomas does indicate that authority for making law for the common good belongs to the whole people or a magistrate who is a vicegerent or a representative or vicar, if you will, of the people. The next text we'll look at is Question 97, Article 3, Reply to the Third Objection. And here we find Thomas saying similarly that the importance of custom. The question here is, can custom obtain force of law? And his answer is yes. And in reply to one of the objections, he says, if people are free and able to make their own laws, the consent of the whole people expressed by a custom counts far more in favor of a particular observance than does the authority of the ruler who has not the power to frame laws except as representing the people so again it does seem clear that Aquinas teaches that the particular person who rules in some way serves by virtue of the whole and even as receiving or deriving the particular power to make the law from the people now of course this is not the modern teaching in its purity because it does say it's for the common good by the measure of reason and there's something above the people so i think we do find in thomas the teaching that orestes brownson was attempting to discover and articulate Now, Yves Simone ends that chapter in your reading for this lesson with a very interesting distinction of various meanings of the phrase, government by the consent of the people. And I think he shows there's actually at least seven meanings we can look at. And only one of them is the one that's problematic. Most of them have a constructive meaning that can be derived from Aristotelian and Thomistic politics. So you can examine those seven and see how he roots them back in the notion of the common good. Now turning briefly to Maritan, Maritan also has a chapter on sovereignty and then later he also develops this transmission theory of government that comes from Bellarmine and Suarez and ultimately Thomas himself. Maritain's concern here is that the modern notion of sovereignty developed by Hobbes among others seems to suggest that there is a power over and separate from the people. Something even if it's derived from the people then has no restraint. In international affairs, this means that the state is not bound by international law, that there is an absolute supremacy of state will, that there is no accountability of the ruling power. It's this notion of sovereignty that Maritain thinks needs to be dropped, and perhaps the very concept of sovereignty to be dropped. This modern notion of sovereignty is not what Aristotle had in mind when he said that the polis is the sovereign institution. Of course, Aristotle meant that the polis pursues the highest good and is the most comprehensive association. He did not mean to imply that there was some detachment from nature or reason, and that the will of the city alone is the source of what is right maritan also develops the notion of the ruler as the vicar of the people and explains that this notion that the people have a right to command by essence and the ruler by participation by which he means that authority is vested in the people and by designating certain magistrates to rule, they participate. So there's an accountability that's built in here. Maritan goes on to explain in Modern Liberal Democracy how this is the best way to understand or to affirm the meaning of popular government. That There is a control over the state inscribed in the very constitutional fabric that periodic elections are a way in which the people can give this consent or hold the rulers to accountability. Meritan says on page 65, does not a patient, while not being an expert in medicine, discharge a doctor when he is dissatisfied with his treatment? with greater reason the people in whose basic right to govern themselves those who wield authority participate the people are governed by their government and the people control the government and they are the final judge of its stewardship again this reminds me of Aristotle's argument for the many in the politics in which he says that the people at least have the right to have the magistrate give an account of themselves just as the man who wears the shoe must make the shoemaker give an account of what kind of shoe he's making and whether it pinches or not. Also, things like free speech, lobbyist, intermediate groups, all of these are part of Maritain's explanation of modern liberal democracy and the understanding of the authority for rule coming from the people and not from divine command or some Hegelian elite which rules as separate from the people. So both Maritain and Simone find resources in Thomas Aquinas and through his commentators to deploy this transmission theory of authority To come to terms with modern liberal democracy, to affirm the basic practices and achievements of freedom and representative government and constitutionalism, but by the same token avoid the exaggerated and distorted understandings of sovereignty and popular will, which can just lead to great errors and mistakes in political society. Well, next turn to perhaps the greater challenge to the Thomistic account of democracy, and that is the notion of human rights. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.